so with this theme of hospitality, it's sort of just emerged as, oh, there's so much to it, you know, this making space for others, welcoming others, being finding spaces of welcome for oneself, um, being nourished ourselves. And then as soon as we look in scripture, we just discovered there were so many stories of hospitality and host and guest and big stories and little stories. And we just couldn't think of anyone better to come and share a bit more about that than our friend Meryl, Dr. Meryl Blair. I, I doubt Meryl referred to herself as a doctor, so I'll just say Dr. Meryl Blair. Um, and um, Meryl's been a friend of our community for years now and we've delighted having um, her here with us. And um, Meryl speaks and teaches on scripture and the Hebrew Bible at Sterling and other places and travels um, around the world kind of exploring faith and other faiths. And um, yeah, if you ever get a chance just to hear a bit more about Meryl's adventures, um, it's always worth your time. But we, but we really value Meryl here with us. Um, and I just thought I'd just say a little prayer for us and for Meryl and then I'll invite Meryl up. Um, Heavenly God, um, our host, our um, safe place, we thank you that we can come here for nourishment, for um, insight, for togetherness. Um, we thank you for all the times this week where we were able to provide safe places for others and play that role. Um, and we thank you where we get to experience that ourselves. Be with Meryl. We thank you for Meryl. Um, and we appreciate her incredibly... Amen. Amen. Meryl, I'll hand over to you. So good to be here with you all. You know, I found myself knowing the songs this morning. <laughs> I'm thinking, I actually have been here quite a bit, haven't I? Which is just wonderful. This is my second home um, and it feels very much like that. And it's just, I, I find myself full of joyful anticipation when I know I'm coming over here, which is just great. I'm putting that there because I know what I'm like. And if I don't have something that keeps me on some sort of line, I'll go everywhere. Because when I started looking at this, and I'm sorry, see, I'm already going off. My pronouns are she, her. And I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you talking about the hospitality of even saying that. Um, I have a daughter who's neurodiverse, and I've noticed the difference in her in claiming neurodiversity and how much more settled she feels in herself at recognising that it's not this or that and she's not wrong and she's not out there and she can be who she is comfortably and exploring that and I just love it. I love it. So... Hospitality, oh my goodness. I want to start by reading Psalm 36. So if that's there, it's there. Um, I'm going to read verses 5 to 9, which have become over, over my life one of my favourite core, if I can't think of anything else, go back to this kind of readings. So just listen to this. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains, your judgments are like the great deep. You save humans and animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. All people may take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house 
and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Such a wonderful image of overflowing generosity. Generosity of light, of life, of abundance in any way you can imagine it to this whole sort of cosmic community that is not just about humans even. It's not uh, necessarily um, androcentric, it's not human-centric, it's just as, as far as you can possibly imagine. And those words, steadfast love, faithfulness, righteousness, judgments, all of the things that make life rich and full and possible um, are just set out there as limitless and wonderful and rich and inviting. So I wanted to start with that, but I'm not going on with that. I'll come back to it later. So where I want to go is just briefly um, to think about why that picture of God is there, where it comes from and where it invites us to go to. So all the pictures that we have of God are uh, kind of given in some sort of way of being aspirational, but they come from images of what it's like to be human. So what might it be like to be fully, gloriously, as full as we possibly can, human? And here's a picture, now, now sort of head for it, but there's also that sense of I've experienced this in my best times. Sometimes I've even been this. A lot of times I've stuffed it up and I haven't, but I've, I've had other people be generous to me. I'm talking about, you know, the writers here. When I say me, I, I don't just mean me personally, but, yeah, I'm in there too. People who have been generous and people to whom I have sometimes managed to find that deep generosity within myself. And in the ancient Near East, this was absolutely fundamental to what it was... Uh, considered to be a human being being who they're meant to be. It wasn't an also either will we, won't we. It was there. Hospitality to strangers in particular, but hospitality. And it was absolutely integral to the way society worked, and of course it was. Um, goods were few and far between. Um, I've worked a lot in Africa, as a bunch of you probably already know, and I've experienced this um, in Zambia, where they live a lot closer to the biblical way of living, very, very um, village sort of life. And you come in, and every bit of food in the general area is prepared. You know, the, the neighbours come in with food, everyone comes in with food, and you know they'll all be eating mush for the next week because they've just used their entire week's food to feed you who already have enough. This is what they do. And in the ancient Near East and many other places who live like this, the idea that the stranger must be looked after because their life could possibly depend on it. If they're travelling in the desert, if they're travelling away from home, the only way they can possibly get through is if strangers are kind and hospitable to them. And so there is so much about hospitality and, and when I started thinking about what stories I might share with you, I nearly went nuts because <laughs> there were so many of them and every one I found led to another one, led to another one. All of the meetings at Wells, and I think I've sort of alluded to them before, where... Um, 
a betrothal takes place, the sign that this is the right girl who's come to the well is that she offers hospitality. She offers to draw up water for, for the man who's come, invites him back to her father's house. It's all around who is the hospitable person. And that's the sign that this will be the person who will become the mother of the next generation um, in, in the tribe. Oh, meetings at Wells, I could, I could just go on and on. Legal codes, the legal codes and the basis of the legal codes in caring for the alien in, the, in your midst, the, the foreigner who is living with you or who is moving through, and the orphan, um, the widow, the people who are outside the, the clan, outside the natural care of the father's house, the unit of the family, absolutely always front and centre, not just in the biblical codes, but in the other ancient Near Eastern codes as well, because if you're not looking after those who most need it, if you're not offering hospitality to them, what are you as a society is the question that underlies even the legal codes. How nice that we are so much more sophisticated these days and we don't have to live like that. <laughs> It's appalling where we've come to. So life and death, life and death. Where I want to take you with that is, first of all, a wonderful story of Abraham and the messengers in uh, Genesis 18. You will know this story, I'm sure, where these three messengers of God come to Abraham under the oaks of Mamre. Um, Abraham is nomadic at this stage. He's living in tents. And the... Law of hospitality, everybody knows about this from, I don't know, Game of Thrones probably. You know, just about anything that has any sort of, um, you know, move, any movies and various other things that have anything to do with the desert, we know about how absolutely important hospitality is. And, it, and there it is, there it is. There's this fabulous picture of these men coming to Abraham. He has no idea who they are. They're just strangers instantly into the offers to water to wash their feet, bread straight away, and then while that's happening, okay, now we kill the calf. Now, they didn't do that. You know, that, that was fairly extreme, to actually kill the calf. Uh, where do we think forward to that, the idea of the prodigal son? Same, you know, that's the, the sort of trajectory of this story. Special occasion, you kill the calf. And then making fresh bread, and there's this fabulous, it's quite a funny story, where Abraham mansplains to Sarah how to make bread. Love it. Who made the bread? It wasn't Abraham, that wasn't his job. But he goes into this great long thing of how to make, I can just see Sarah going, yes, <laughs> just get out of here and let me do, stop teaching your grandmother to suck eggs. So, he then provides them with curds, milk. I mean, it just keeps listing more and more and more things that are given. And the conversation then goes on into how they are presenting this promise that he will have a descendant of his own. And that's a whole story, which I love too. Very, very funny with them. Sarah laughing and God saying, you laughed. And her saying, no, I didn't. And God saying, yes. Anyway, I'm not going there. Moving on... 
the interesting thing is where it goes straight after that, because one of the things the Hebrew Bible loves doing is setting up kind of chapters of the story to give contrasts. So we've got this picture of Abraham, the hospitable host, who's going over and above, and the list of the things he does for these people just goes on and on. Then these men move on, and they come to Sodom. Now, the whole thing starts off with God having heard bad reports of Sodom, and so he's actually sent these men to check out the bad reports, and it's on their way there that they come past Abraham. So before the men come to Sodom, God comes to Abraham and they have this wonderful little bargaining thing where God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham argues with God and asks him the wonderful question, won't the judge of the earth do what's just? How can you destroy a city if it's got some just people in it? And they have this wonderful backwards and forwards until God finally says, okay, if there are only 10 just people in Sodom, I'll save it. So moving on from there, we come to the men coming to Sodom and Lot... Abraham's nephew, offers the same hospitality to these men that Abraham offered. Brings them into his house, feeds them, offers to wash their feet, a lot of the same language. So it's a kind of nice little bookend story and it reinforces for us as we're reading through the hospitality of Abraham. Then we have the men of the city... And it actually says all of them, all both young and old, all of them to the last man. There are no righteous men here, okay? It's making very clear that they're all complicit in this act. Surround the house and demand to know the men. This is where you've all heard about the sin of Sodom as supposedly being homosexuality. It's got nothing to do with it. It's the sin of lack of hospitality to the stranger. There is no doubt about that. We've been set up carefully to see what hospitality looks like and should look like. And now we're showed what it looks like when it's absolutely absent. The threat against the lives of these strangers who managed to save themselves and save Lot, or will save Lot in particular, because they happen to be angels, which is nice, you know, to have these miraculous powers. And there we go. God now know what, knows what to do about Sodom. So Lot and his immediate family are taken out of the city and the city's destroyed. So the sin of lack of hospitality, if we were sort of wondering about that, there's another story a little bit later on. Um, in, in Judges, Judges 19. I'm not going to go through it because, oh, trigger warning, it's just the worst. If you haven't read it, feel free to not. But it's just an awful story and it's a similar story of a traveller, a Levite, and his concubine who are looking for um, shelter at night and they actually carefully bypass a foreign city and go to an Israelite city because they're kin and they'll be safer there. And the people of the town ignore them and ignore them and ignore them until one old man who's actually a stranger himself, who's, who's a, um, a foreigner who's moved into the city, offers them hospitality. 
And a similar thing happens to what happened to, uh, back in Sodom, except this time the Levite throws out his concubine and she's basically gang-raped until she dies, and it leads to massive warfare. Um, we are meant to feel absolutely disgusted and horrified by this story. Um, it, it's set up to very carefully make us feel exactly how we feel when we, when we read it. So it's not set up as this is how you should act in any way. But what it does is reinforce that picture of lack of hospitality. And the, the complete destruction of community that happens out of that, it leads into the last few chapters of, of Judges. Everyone's fighting everyone else. One tribe's just about wiped out entirely. There's mass abduction of women to try to build up the tribe. I mean, it's just awful. It ends up with the words... In those days, there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it leads us into um, the story of Samuel and the choosing of a king. But it's meant to show that lack of hospitality... Community can't work. It simply can't work. It doesn't matter whether it's kin or whether it's strangers. Hospitality is the building block on which community is built. And without it... It's a mess. It just can't work. So with this story, we're sort of highlighted. And, and if we go back in the story of Abraham, uh, just a few chapters, Abraham himself in chapter 14 is offered hospitality by a foreign king, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, which is a um, Canaanite city, which will become Jerusalem, the city of David. But at this stage, it's... Um, uh, Jebusite city, actually. And Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine to give to Abraham. Now, Melchizedek then becomes this kind of strange figure in almost mythological thinking through later, later times of the Bible, where, uh, if you read Hebrews in particular, but also Psalms and various other places, he's seen as the prototype of the sort of king that Jesus will be. Um, he, he's, a, he's a foreigner. He's not even Jewish. He's not even an Israelite. But because he came out and offered bread and wine to this man who was passing in his territory, he's seen as the prototype of the Messiah. And of course, when you get the echoes of bread and wine that will come through later... There's a really interesting sort of thing happening here. So Melchizedek almost shows Abraham how to be hospitable. And when Abraham then gets the chance to be it, he is hospitable. There are so many stories, so many stories. Elijah and Elisha are both offered hospitality by women, um, either widows or not, the fabulous story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath who is collecting the final sticks to make the last little fire, to make the last bit of bread for herself and her son and then they will die of starvation because clearly nobody's looking after them in their, in their community and so they're not being shown hospitality but she shows radical hospitality to this stranger by giving him the last of her food 
and the food just keeps coming, keeps coming. And these two um, share a dwelling until the drought breaks and there is enough food for everybody. Um, Elisha, similar sort of story. I could, I, as I said, I could go on and on and on and on. It's just amazing. Psalm 23, I'm absolutely intrigued with, and I am sort of jumping around a little bit here, but where these come to the pictures of what it means to be in community in God's community is really interesting. And I was quite intrigued thinking through the week about Psalm 23. I'm kind of assuming you all more or less know it's the, you know, the Lord is my shepherd one. It tends to be the psalm that practically everybody knows, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me um, <clears throat> somewhere. Uh, I could remember it in English because I did it in Hebrew. Anyway, but the bit that I am struck by is the verse, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I'm actually really intrigued by that, and I only just started thinking about it this week, which means I've got to do some more research on it. But my memory of lots and lots of other writings from the ancient Near East that I have read in the past is that the words you would be expecting there would be, you prepare a table before me while my enemies eat dust. That would be the normal formula. In the presence of my enemies is actually a really intriguing sentence because you're left to wonder whether they are in fact invited to the table. It at least leaves it open that that is a possibility there. That if God's the one who's preparing the table, even the enemies might possibly be invited to it. Is that interesting? I think that's interesting. Anyway, like I said, got to do a whole lot more research and maybe I will, maybe I won't. Maybe one of you will instead. That'd be good and <laughs> let us all know. But um, And I should say, all my books are packed in boxes at the moment, which is why I haven't done any more because I sold my house at the weekend. So I can't find anything <laughs> at the moment. So everything you're hearing is coming from my head and memory. So by the time we get to Psalm 36, we have this gorgeous picture of God's hospitality, and there aren't a lot of pictures. I've had, I had students in the past who wanted to do an essay on feminine images of God in the Psalms, and you're scratching, you're scratching. Um, God the warrior, God the king, God the, you know, they tend to be fairly male, God the judge, they tend to be fairly male uh, images, even the shepherd. But this one and that picture of you preparing a table in, in 23 are two that do come out. You let them drink. They feast on the abundance of your house. It's a very householder's picture. It's a very um, strong picture of wide open doors. And I'm reminded of... Um, for example, you know, we go through into Ephesians and you've got this lovely picture of those who were once strangers are now part of the household. All of these beautiful images of breaking down barriers between people where there are fairly natural barriers, you know, going to Galatians, barriers between male, female, uh, Christian, Jew, um, slave, free, where around a table... 
barriers are broken down. And it starts with this experience of simply simply being kind to people who cross your path, which is basically what the hospitality of strangers is. Someone needs something, you've got it. What can I offer? So we were talking um, before we started about, uh, I was talking with Tamsin about how the hospitality series has been going. And she was saying a lot of people came with the sense of, oh, hospitality, here I go feeling guilty again that I'm not having more people around at my house. Been there, done that, absolutely. It's so much bigger than that, isn't it? It's about having an attitude of welcome. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in your own home. I mean, you know, let's have some boundaries, people, you know, if that's not what your thing is. But how are you welcome? Here is God whose hospitality reaches everywhere, which includes this wonderful sense that life is abundant. And if life's abundant, then what I've got isn't going to be diminished by helping you with what you need. And I think that's where it really comes down to, is that I am not diminished by your needs. Um, in fact, I have abundance just by being who I am. This wonderful sense that, as I said, I learnt in Africa, there is never a sense that someone hasn't got enough, even though you know they've barely got enough to get by, you know, make, make the horrible mealy meal stuff that they, they, they'll have for their next meal. If there is someone who needs help, they will find it and they will share it. Uh, that fabulous word that I learnt the first time we went over there, you hear it around from time to time, Ubuntu. A person is a person through other persons. And it is that sense of how can I help you live more fully your life out of whatever it is that I happen to have? And how do I receive from you graciously that which I need when I feel that I should be self-sufficient? I have a sister who has um, multiple health issues. And this is something that I share. I, I share these things regularly on uh, Facebook because I know um, that a bunch of her friends see them as well, about how needing help is not being a burden. It's, it's just so important to keep these things to the fore because we are so taught that any kind of lack of self-sufficiency makes us less. And it's a modern, Western, our kind of society problem that we've created. So if we come back to God and the way God shares hospitality, there's no question about are you worthy or aren't you worthy. I could go back through the stories of the feedings in the wilderness and all sorts of things like that, where the people have already failed. They've already failed. It's not a test. They've, if it was a test, they've already failed the test. But God, because God is generous, feeds them anyway. Because God is generous, God feeds them anyway. And so I think the invitation of hospitality is simply to be that full, wonderful thing that we are, which is generous, 
and gracious and curious and interested and content. I could go on forever, I think. Um, I won't. I'll stop right there. But what it does do is bring us again around this table, and this is where we're heading at the moment, is around this table. And I'm going to invite you to come and join around this table, um, to be around it however you are comfortable to be around it, whether it's to stand around it in a circle, whether it's to stay at your table but to know that you are part of the circle anyway, whether it's to come and, and uh, take part or be in the circle but not take part, any of that, all of it, is absolutely acceptable and absolutely known and held and loved in this space. But this table, we do it every week and we do it because it reminds us that hospitality is at the heart of who God is and therefore who we are called to be and to enjoy and as we do take part, I would like you to sort of look around at each other if that's not too threatening. If it is, feel free to not. Look at your own feet and, and appreciate them. But just to think about what it means to give and receive each other as we come around and feel joyful and grateful for that. So would you like to come around and make some sort of wobbly circle or as I, all those other options that I've already laid out? The gift can be as simple as a little bit of broken biscuit that's shared with deep and great love. And we are seen, as we sang at the beginning, we are seen and we are known, we are called by name, we are loved exactly as we are in this space. So let us eat and drink together in deep, deep gratitude and joy that we have each other and that we can also share hospitality beyond these walls. Amen. Can I just share with you, um, this came on my Facebook feed from a friend in America through the week and it just felt like the right benediction for today. Let all that is soft, all that is slow, all that is gentle, all that is kind, all that is careful, be welcome home in each of us. We have such creative, powerful, generous and brave capacities within us. We can choose to do things differently. Go into your hospitable weeks with love. <laughs> <laughs>